Good morning. Aloha. Welcome to Ali and Pacero. This is Alan Alley. Jim Pacero is on extended sabbatical, and I'm here with our friend James Ball. Hi, James. Hi, Alan. Good to see you. <laughs> now, I am in the remotest place, inhabited place, on the planet Earth. I'm in Hawaii, uh, coming to you live, and James is in Portland somewhere. True? Yes, sir. In my house. And so this is the miracle of modern technology that we can that we can pull this off. I, I wanted to talk about my trip over here just to kind of give you some insights and talk about how travel is beginning to come back. So uh, before we left, everybody in our party got a uh, rapid PCR test, so a test for actually the virus, and you. Uh, drive up to the airport, uh, Portland International Airport, you go to a place called Carbon Health. They have tents outside between the terminal and the parking garage. And it's very well organized. You made your appointment online many, many weeks in advance. They run you through, they do a little nose swab, but they only go in about an inch, maybe three quarters of an inch. It isn't like up in your brain. So you had to get a PCR test before you got there and they test you again when you arrive or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, 72 hours before you, you have to have a valid PCR test from heat from, uh, the mainland. And then you upload your documentation. Uh, the Hawaii Department of Health gives you a QR code. You put the QR code on your phone. Then you fly over. To Hawaii. Now, everybody on the airplane has passed in the last 72 hours a PCR test. So, unless you went out and partied with a bunch of, you know, 22 year olds uh, before getting on the plane, <laughs> yeah, on South Beach, you're probably okay, right? But I was, it was remarkable. So, the plane is full, right? The flight attendants have to walk up and down the aisles. They're doing that. Everybody's masked. Um, now, airplane environments are very clean. They have uh, filtering systems that are running all the time. And they're, they're very, very, very fine particulate. Um, I, I don't know how far down they go, but they're very, very, very high-quality filtering systems, almost like being in a clean room or something. So you're pretty good, and then you get off the plane, and you go through this weird circuitous path of uh, if you were tested, you go in this line, everybody was tested, they go through and check your temperature, um, and then you go through and get another PCR test here. You give them their contact information. If you test positive, they'll come. I guess they come in the uh, COVID van and take you away. But... <laughs> Never to be apparently, yeah, apparently <laughs> what it is, is the, the state of Hawaii requires the first test. And then each island, and I guess the, the head of an island is a mayor. These are, each island is a county, and they hmm. say that the head of the county is a mayor. Each island has their own thing. So the island of Hawaii, the big island where we are, they have this second PCR test that they're doing. I guess Kauai is different and uh, Oahu is different as well. 
but very interesting process. And I did some research a little while ago about international travel, just because I'm getting itchy to get out of the, the state, get yeah. out of the country. And there are a lot of countries, Western Europe not included, where with a negative PCR test, you can you can travel. Um, yeah, and most of them, it's within 72 hours. And I don't know if there's other things like what you're talking about, where you have to get one when you get there, or you get, have to get multiple ones. But um, yeah, just to, to add to your point, you know, places are, are starting to reopen. They're starting to allow people to travel as long as you get, as long as you get a test beforehand. So. Yeah. Now it, and it brings up this whole thing of who does it affect, who does COVID affect and how does it affect them? And, uh, I just pulled up the data from Oregon and refreshed that from, uh, from the last time, from last week. And, <laughs> I, I don't understand. I mean, we hit a peak of deaths in December of almost 600. Um, June, July, August, September, it was down around 100 when everybody was freaked out. It peaked in December, came down to 460 in January. February was almost 300. And March is tracking to be just about where February was. And... But it, it, the the age is a median age of 80, which means half the people are older than 80, half the people are younger than 80. And the average age is now about 78. It's actually been creeping up over time. So it's very, very clearly a disease that um, kills older people. Mm -hmm. Um we don't know what the long-term effects are on younger people. Like if you have it and you're asymptomatic, you know, are there lingering effects? I guess like with chicken pox, you get shingles later or is it the other way yeah. around? Yeah, you can get shingles if you're older. But so we don't... Yeah, well, everybody, everybody got chicken pox, though. I mean, with very few exceptions. And chicken pox could kill you if you got it when you're older. So, you know, we, <laughs> I, I'm even old enough to remember chicken pox. Right. Um, I, I had chicken pox when I was five or six, and I think the, the vaccine came out when I was seven or eight, so I just barely missed it. But, um, it was just, it was just a thing you, you lived with. Um, and I mean, not to say that we, you know, medical science has advanced and we should just kind of go back to the way things were because we, because that nobody, nobody freaked out about chicken pox. Um, smallpox was awful. Polio was awful. Right. You know, we shouldn't just go back to that because we can, but I think it's important to recognize that compared to all these other diseases that have ravaged the, the, the country and the world, um, COVID is pretty tame and we're taking it, we're taking such extreme measures. Um, it's almost, yeah, it, now that the vaccine is starting to get propagated and I think most of the people at risk have been vaccinated at this point, at least the ones who want to. At what point do we... How, how long does this go? How long do we have to get tests before we travel anywhere? I mean, is this is this a permanent thing? Um, is this like the TSA that is just... That's, that's a part of travel now where you have to get a test? Or is there a point where we're like, okay, the, the deaths and the transmission rate is low enough that you know we can have we can have these freedoms back. Yeah, we've got to take a break. We'll come back and pick this up. I want to talk about 
COVID and the timbers. I just got a survey about the timbers also that all kind of wraps into this. This is Ali and Sarah with our friend James Ball. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Welcome back to Allie and Pissarro with our friend James Ball. We're talking about COVID, which seems like we talk about it every week. Um, <laughs> so we were talking about me coming to Hawaii and the process that I went through that was very rigorous. And one of the things that I was thinking of is by doing this, you kind of lower people's blood pressure that I don't know. I, I Yes, it has some valid reasons for doing it. It does lower risk, but it's like makes everybody comfortable. Now, um, some of my kids didn't come and that was expressed to me that I was being reckless by coming. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm being reckless. I've got the first half of my vaccine. My wife has the first half of her vaccine. We were PCR tested in Portland. We were PCR tested when we arrived. I'm pretty darn sure I don't have COVID. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, um, so it's, it's, it's really interesting. The, and like the whole mask thing, you know, wearing masks, you and I have talked about this many times. It's like, it, it makes intellectual sense. Yeah, masks probably help. And part of it is it's just a reminder to, stay distant and be respectful of other people's spaces and you know is a cloth mask capable of stopping the size of virus part of probably not right but yeah. i wish they'd just tell us that right yeah well I, I mean just to to add to that the point that i've always made is that it disrupts the airflow like if i am going to blow on you it goes my breath whatever particles i have in my breath will go three four five feet uh, and if right. I'm wearing a cloth mask, what it's going to do is disrupt that airflow. The the virus particles then stay around my face, they and then fall to the ground. Um, and so, if we're socially distancing uh, with the cloth mask, any virus particles that make it through my mask are probably not going to make it far enough um, to to touch you, or at least not enough. And this is all a matter right. of percentages. That's what I'm saying. Like, there is there a virus particle that's going to get that far? Yeah, probably get picked up by the wind or something. Right. But um, it's it's a matter of like keeping the virus loads to a low enough point that you're not infecting people unnecessarily. And so that's why the, the mask plus social distancing thing works. It's not that viruses can't get through the cloth mask. It's that it disrupts the right. airflow and doesn't make the virus go, you know, projectile onto somebody else. So, so I, I got to, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say at some point we need to back this all off though. <clears throat> The mask mandates, the mask requirements, the mask. Um, I actually read an article or was told by someone that the OHA is talking about making masks permanent in places of business, right. which I think is um, a gross intrusion on our ability to make decisions for ourselves. And uh, so I'm, I'm really 
hope that that doesn't happen. But, uh, you know, knowing, yeah. knowing this state, it probably will. <laughs> I know, right? And yeah. it, so I got a survey from the Timbers. I'm a Timbers season ticket holder. And the mm-hmm. whole survey was about trying to figure out what steps they would have to take for me to feel comfortable about going to a Timbers game. So it was mm-hmm. things like, what if we limited attendance to 2,000 people or 6,000 people or, you know, half capacity or full capacity? And if it was full capacity, what if everybody wore masks? What if you were required to have a vaccine? What, you know, all these different things. What if limited people came in at different times and we space out the timing of how you enter? And, um, you know, I fill it out. I'm 66 years old, male this kind of stuff. And I'm kind of right smack in the sweet spot of when people should be kind of freaked out, right? That Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to Timbers game and then I'm going to die. So as I'm filling it out, I'm I'm trying to think through it. And it's kind of like, well, once we kind of reach herd immunity, which is, and herd immunity doesn't necessarily mean every single human is immune and will never get it again. But um, the what is it? it the means R the zero rate. is enough people. Yeah. Right. Once the once the transmission rate is below one and stays there because the virus isn't transmitting, that's that's right. essentially herd immunity. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Go so, ahead. Uh, but again, it was kind of look. Most folks are going to be vaccinated. Uh, Probably a vast majority of people at Timbers Games will be vaccinated. Um, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. Right? I think we'll have all kinds of cool Timbers masks. We'll have all mm-hmm. kinds of cool Darth Vader looking things, right? And people will do that. I don't think that's bad. Um, but I, I, I actually think we will probably be some of the last people back in the stands. And yeah. it's, it's really sad. I, th- I think, um, and if you have people that are immune compromised that are, that you're in contact with, don't go to the freaking Timbers game. You right. know, it's like, you know, behave responsibly. Um, mm-hmm. so I am, you know, I'm kinda, as soon as the government gets involved, it takes away that ability to make, and this, this is kind of like, an unintended consequences, or maybe an intended consequence, is when the government says you have to wear a mask, all of a sudden everybody wears masks. But then as soon as the government says, okay, you no longer have to wear a mask, right. the implication is everybody take off your masks, just go blow on each other, which, which, right. you know, that's, that's a consequence of the government getting involved in the first place. If we had said from the beginning, and, you know, the, hindsight's 2020, and so I don't want to put too much blame on, on our elected officials, but if we had said from the beginning, you know, masks are helpful. Here's why you should wear them. Um, and let people make the decision for themselves. Then you could have these ongoing conversations with the public that says, here's the risk. Here are the people that are at risk. Here's the number of deaths. Um, and yeah, go out in the world and make your own decision. And you're not going to have this single point in time events where everybody feels like they can take their masks off. And you know, right. we're probably going to see a, a spike in cases. You'd have a much more gradual curve of people becoming more and more comfortable. And I mean, it's like what's happening in, in Texas. Um, Greg Abbott came out and said, all right, we're lifting the mask mandate. We're relying on everyone else to everyone to make their own decisions. 
and the left-wing media flipped out saying everyone yeah. like you're it's how dangerous this was and yeah if you listen to his full comments he says look that this, this is not everyone take your masks off this is make your own decisions and do what you feel comfortable with um although i don't think anyone in texas has worn a mask since last summer but <laughs> you know that's <laughs> well, that's not quite relevant <laughs> well we were in we were in arizona and everybody wore masks basically um, in Hawaii, certainly everybody's wearing masks, you know, in, in public spaces. Um, and I, you know, I think you're absolutely right. When it's mandated and then they drop the mandate, then it's like, yeah. okay, take off your mask. Yeah. <laughs> are we going to flip they know to that where it's like, yeah, they, they know that. Why are you wearing a mask? Right. Well, I mean, I've got a lot of experience in Asia and in Asia, if you're sick, you have a cold or whatever, you wear a mask, especially yeah. in Japan. And it's kind of a, it, it's out of respect for the other people that I put on a mask. I had the snipples this morning and I wear my mask and I'm very careful about washing my hands and how I conduct myself. And then the mask is a symbol to other people. Hey, if you can, maybe we should kind of stay away from each other, right? Right. And they yeah. don't shake hands, they bow, so you don't have to worry about that. But um, that, that, and there's no social stigma associated with it. It isn't mm -hmm. like you're a leper if you're wearing a mask. You're, it's actually viewed as a sign of respect for your fellow citizens if you, if you wear a mask. And it's considered a, a very positive, very, very good thing. I wonder what's going to happen to my, uh, my grandsons that they think when you go to school, you have to put on a mask. That's the, mm -hmm. the way it is. Um, we're up against a break. This is Allie and Pacero with our friend James Ball. The Portland spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back to Allie and Pacero with her friend James Ball. Actually, it's Allie and Ball with our friend <laughs> Jim Pacero, who's not here. Sometimes. Uh, we'll get Jimmy back soon. Once we get, once we get past COVID, we'll get Jimmy back. But... Um, speaking about that, there were several conversations on Facebook this week. Uh, James, you were, you were watching some of them. Maybe we can dig into that a little bit. Yeah. So there was a comment on here, uh, you know, just kind of a wall of words that, um, sparked a conversation. I'm not going to mention the names of the people involved, uh, to protect yeah. their guilty. Um, but, and then posted a, a WordPress site that someone has made, um, making sense of COVID.com and some, some interesting things here. Um, so just talk, asking us to talk about it on, on the show. And so, so yeah. I, I'm just going to go into it. So first off, this is what the person said. The vaccines are garbage and don't prevent anyone from beating COVID. Not true. Uh, top WHO scientists said that. I doubt it. Um, and even if they did, one scientist does not make a consensus. Uh, the Johnson & Johnson one-shot vaccine is only 66% effective. 
I don't know much about the Johnson and Johnson, but uh, that's not the point. The point is herd immunity, like we already talked about. Once you get to the point where the the virus right. is not transmitting, um, then that's herd immunity. That's when we can reopen things. No vaccine is one hundred percent effective. That's just not how vaccines work. Uh, right. No one should put that garbage in their body. Uh, that's a that's a an opinion. PCR testing data is meaningless. Uh, I, so on an individual basis or globally? So individually, um, well, I think we've already just talked about that where Alan right. just got seven of them in the last two days. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah right. they, they, they do. They will tell individuals whether or not they have COVID on a, on a global. Yeah. We, we've talked about this in the podcast before also where, <clears throat> you know, on the way that things are being reported and the way that tests, you know, presumed cases, those sort of things. There, there's a lot of issues with the way things are being reported. And so if you're talking PCR tests from a like global standpoint or like from a data collection standpoint, yeah, it's probably not going to be very useful because you're only testing so people who James, are either traveling or yeah. For what? example, um, we yeah. believe you had COVID, right? Yes. Were you ever, were you ever tested no, I, I may so or may not have been that, a presumed case, but yeah, I wasn't tested. Right, but that's one of those. That's one of those examples of um, if you're young and you have symptoms and you know, you know, you can kind of in your life see, yeah, maybe I was exposed. People are just quarantining for a while, and you never get tested. You don't go to the hospital, right? right? My, my so, wife tested positive because she had to for work, and you know we lived together. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, flu-like symptoms or whatever you want to call it for a few days, and uh, so yeah. I, I assume that's what it was. I guess there's a possibility that I coincidentally had a cold at the same time that she had COVID, um, but probably not. Hmm. It was probably COVID, <laughs> but I didn't feel they need to get tested because I I I know what they're going to tell me. They're going to tell me, "Are you in danger of going to the hospital?" No. Okay, go quarantine. I was like, well, I was going to do that anyway. And now, you know, I got the OHA right. breathing down my neck, trying to figure out who I talked to and when. And I was like, I don't need that nonsense. So I just, uh, I just quarantined on my own. And, uh, they, they have so many, like, this is the thing. They're, they're counting presumed cases. If you call up and say, Hey, I think I might have COVID. They say, stay home and quarantine. You don't need to get a test. And then they count you as a, as You're a, a case. case. So it's like they're overcounting the number of cases. Because some of those people don't have COVID, or and so I might as well just be a little bit on the undercount. I'll be a, <laughs> I'll be an undercounted person well, to uh, balance out the overcount. In preparation for the show last week, uh, I put together some slides because we were only doing it on uh, Facebook. And one of the things that I in the research that you come up with is Singapore has very low death rate. And there was an mm -hmm. article in the British Medical Journal that I read that was really, really good. In fact, I think I posted the link last week. Um, and they dug into it. And when Singapore reports a death, they report a death because of COVID. Um, they don't report Korea, death with North COVID. Korea has still reported zero COVID deaths, just so you know. Oh, and really? It's tough to die from COVID when they execute you for having COVID so you don't spread it. So, I <laughs> well, mean, well, Singapore's not saying, quite that bad, but, Sing no. but Singapore does say uh, death because of COVID. Another one was the low death rates in Africa. 
and mm-hmm. um, you you know people were hypothesizing because it's warm, because it's humid, because it's this, because it's that, because the population spread out. Well, it turns out British Medical Journal again said no. It's because there's like zero old people. The the average age in many of these African countries is approximately 18 years old. So if the average age is 18, there is nobody that there's nobody to die from Mm -hmm. COVID. And they don't, the media doesn't really talk about this. There isn't, there aren't these thoughtful articles. This British Medical Journal article was incredibly thoughtful. It got zero coverage here in the United States. Peer reviewed, right? This is like gold standard medical journal stuff. And their basic point was we've spent globally tens of trillions, twenties of trillions of dollars on this and, and crushed our economies, yet nobody has done rigorous analytical surveys and testing to determine who it affects, why it affects them, how does it spread. And so on the uh, vaccine, I talked about this last week too. If 100,000 people get COVID and nobody has a vaccine, 25,000 people will have symptoms. And this is just approximate numbers from what I could pull. So 25% will have symptoms. Some of those, and I can't get an accurate number on this, will be bad enough to be tested. And about 230 people will die out of that 100,000 group. With the vaccine, preliminary data, earliest stuff that I could dig out, 100,000 people uh, are infected with COVID. 5,000 people will have symptoms. And to the point that you were making, James, mm-hmm. when you get the vaccine, it isn't like a hazmat suit. It isn't like right. like I repel COVID. I still get the virus. It still gets into my body. It's just I have the COVID. ability to, to fight it off, right? So of 100,000 people, 5,000 will have symptoms instead of 25,000. And you'll get three deaths from 100,000 down from 230. So 200, 230 deaths down to three. Yeah. Pretty good. You know, in my world, close enough, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I'm the engineer. I, I had to the, – the crazy thing is – I had to work really hard to pull this data and people can refute it and challenge it because I had to pull from one source here and one source there and kind of piece together the story. But to the best of my ability, that's, that's what I was able to get. You know, what would be great is if the OHA, instead of gaslighting us with all these crazy messages and spreading like fear, uncertainty and doubt, if they would actually do a study like that and, and, let us know what it says. So months, many, many months ago, when we were working on importing antibody tests, my little, my little company, um, we were working with, um, OHSU to do, to get them antibody tests because they were going to test 10,000 Oregonians. Mm-hmm. And they actually started because they were going to randomly test people to see how far the virus had spread in the population and then redo this test over and over again. So you can tell us that 10% of the people have had it. 
Right. Right. Uh, they started the, they started the test and, uh, Kate stepped in, Kate Brown, Governor Brown stepped in and stopped the test because in the 10,000 group, we didn't have enough underrepresented minorities. Now, to me, if that's important, to me, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't really care. I'm just going to take whoever I can get because I don't care if it's perfect or if I have perfect representation of every sub minority. What I care is generally speaking are, you know, is it 10% are infected or 50% infected? We can get back to the underrepresented minorities at some point in time, but this is a pan freaking pandemic. But if you wanted to do it the other way, go get the underrepresented minorities. Go recruit them. Go pay them. I, I think I've but said they this did. on the podcast before, but if you look at this from a democratic standpoint, where if you see the government's responsibility in this is to prevent people from dying, um, a study like that will only hurt you. You know, you've already got the fear narrative going. You've already got everybody wearing masks, or at least as much as you can. You've got these, again, highly manipulative signs and messages from the OHA that, like, if you love your grandparents, you'll wear a mask. Um, right. you've, you've got that basically under control. If something like, if a study like this comes out and confirms the narrative that you're pushing, it doesn't really help you. You've already got that going. But if it comes out and it says, hey, 80% of people have already gotten COVID. The transmission rate has already right. started dropping. Now you, you've just undermined your own fear narrative and potentially people are going to start taking off their masks. They're going to start going out to Timbers games and people could, more people could die. And like I said, if you're, if you believe that the government's role is to prevent people from dying of COVID, um, that, that is going to hurt you. So. Why, why would you try to get information that's going to undermine your case? It, it, you know, it doesn't make sense from a democratic standpoint. We're up against a break. Uh, we'll be right back. This is Allie and Pacero with her friend James Ball. Welcome back to Allie and Pacero with her friend James Ball. We've been talking COVID this morning. Uh, let's shift to something else. Um, he didn't die, but uh, President Biden did take a stumble like three times climbing the stairs of Air Force One. And it, it brings up his health, his well-being, stumbling, um, you know, as somebody that, that lived with my dad who had Parkinson's, uh, stumbling is the first sign, one of the first signs of Parkinson's. Um, not saying Joe Biden has Parkinson's, but I think Joe Biden is, is showing some uh, vulnerabilities that he has throughout the campaign. And the, the interesting thing for us then is President Harris, mm -hmm. uh, what that would be like. And is that, in fact, going to happen? I, I didn't see much media coverage of the stumble, actually. Uh, I saw you memes. can find it. Yeah. Yeah. Memes. I saw a lot of memes. But, <laughs> yeah, but the mainstream media didn't cover it. I mean, not not like they would have if it was someone else, for example. Right. Um, but what does it mean? What What do you think? Are we going to have President Harris? I, I I think I've said before. I think Biden's been trying to make a full year. 
Um, I think that it, I mean, this is, this is what frustrates me so much. People had, had like actual legitimate concerns about his health, his, his mental state in the, during the campaign that maybe he was starting to get a little bit of, of dementia. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but the leader of the free world, I mean, we, sh- we, sh- it's something we should talk about. Um, and it was sort of dismissed as a right wing conspiracy to try to get Trump reelected. Uh, and now we're starting to see with, He's not done any press conferences. Now he's stumbling upstairs on Air Force One. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, the man has worked his whole life to be president or at least, you know, 40 some odd years in, in office to, to try to be president. And I think that he wants, if I was him, I'd try to make it a full year before stepping down. Um, in the meantime, you just, you know, uh, which, what was the president that had polio? Uh, Roosevelt? No. FDR. Uh, FDR. Yeah. And, FDR. you know, he, he kept it, he kept it secret for a long time. The media never photographed him in a wheelchair. Um, he was always right. sitting during his, his, uh, conferences. It was a little easier to do back then before social media. But I wonder if that's what's going on of, of there's this kind of handshake agreement that we're going to keep Biden, um, you know, kind of under wraps for a year so that he can be president. And then we're going to, and in the meantime, you've got consultants and you've got staff and, and cabinet members that are, that are kind of making the decisions and giving him things to sign. And then uh, after a year, I think he's going to come out and, and say, you know, I think it's time for our first black female president and he's going to step down. So that's what I think is going to happen. Um, no, I think yeah, that's, and I think that's I think why that's the media very reasonable. Yeah. I think it's very reasonable. And I think um, whether it's a year or whether it's three years, it, Handing her the presidency is sort of the ultimate embodiment of, of, uh, the, the new Democratic Party. Yeah. And having her run as an incumbent, I think, is essential for them. Uh, I, we may be faced with something similar here in Oregon that, mm-hmm. uh, Kate Brown is, uh, has been a good supporter of all of the, uh, public employee unions in Oregon to, I think she's done everything they ever wanted her to do. The vaccinating teachers before vaccinating the most vulnerable, you know, you can go back in time and and pick through everything. She's done exactly what the unions wanted her to do. The next person in line that would absolutely do that is Shamia Fagan. And uh, Shamia became secretary of state because she does everything that the public employee unions want her to do. And if you're a Democratic voter and you happen to be watching this or listening to it, in Oregon, um, if you are an environmental voter, you don't really have a say in your party. If you are a uh, life voter, uh, you don't really have a say in your party. If you're a member of a public employee union, you have a say in, in your party. And it's just the way it is. It, it's not, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, gaslight and not trying to be alarmist or anything here. It's just the way it, it is. So Shamia Fagan is the one that lines up with them. Tobias Reed has a little independent streak there. Uh, Ted Wheeler has an independent streak there. Uh, John Kitzhaber certainly has a completely independent streak there. But uh, I think Kate Brown goes to D.C. Uh, at some point in time, uh, probably this year, 
and hands the reins to Shamia Fagan. And then I think so. I, we have Governor I wonder, Fagan. I wonder if it's, it'll be after redistricting. I think that they want, the Democratic Party wants to make sure that they draw the lines and the public employee union really, because Fagan is fighting tooth and nail to try to get that job of being able to draw the lines. And so she needs to get the legislature to delay long enough or um, there, there's a there's a, a, a battle brewing uh, right now. Um, yesterday, I spoke to uh, Representative um, Foster Davis for uh, the Rational Republican podcast, which I'll try to post yeah. later today with oh, Dr. Cool. Districting and, and a lot of this. Um, and Fagan yeah. is fighting. Fagan is fighting against Courtney and Kotek to try to get the job of, of drawing those district lines. And I think she's doing it. I mean, of course, she's doing it on behalf of the of the employee unions. So. I don't know. Just I, I wonder if they're holding off on this appointment of bringing Brown up to to work on the Biden campaign until until Fagan can draw those lines, and then and then they'll move her up to governor, and she'll run as an incumbent. Yeah, I think that's probably true. That's that's very interesting um, because the census has been delayed, right? Yeah. Did you guys talk yeah. about that? That we yeah. don't have the new data yet. Yeah, so we Oregon has a constitutional requirement to redraw the line, the district lines by July first of the odd number year following a census. So July first of this year, and right. the census data is not going to be available until September thirtieth. So after oh. the deadline has passed, um, the rule is if the legislature doesn't do it by July first, then it gets kicked to the Secretary of State. Secretary of State has until August fifteenth to draw right. the lines. So we're basically blowing through both of those deadlines. And if that happens, I believe it, if it goes through both of those deadlines, I believe it goes to the courts. And so there's a discussion going on right now of, do you use alternative data to draw the lines? Because there's nothing in the constitution that says you have to use census data. You just have to redraw the lines. And so do you use less accurate data to draw the lines on time? Do you get a, a stay wow. by the, the constitution to an extension because of extenuating circumstances? Um, are the courts even allowed to do that? And so those are all discussions going on right now. And Fagan is lobbying hard to bypass the legislature and kick this to the Secretary of State's office. So, um, well, so some of your data and some of my data matches because the the uh, Democratic operative that said to me that they think this is going to happen, the switch between Kate and Shamia said it will happen after September. Mm -hmm. So that matches perfectly with what you're saying, that the legislature uh, either can't redraw the lines, or I guess they could with other data, right? And then, but but the interesting thing is they, they could redraw them with uh, the current number of congressional seats, right? So... No. Um, so that's a different, the congressional seats are a different process. And if that doesn't happen, it goes to the courts. It doesn't go to the secretary of state. And so we will get a sixth. If it, if the census data says we should get a congressional district, we will get a sixth congressional district. It's the, the state lines that are right. Kind of but you won't, right but now. you won't know about the congressional district until you get census data. Correct. Right? Yeah. And one of the fights on the census data is counting uh, documented but illegal residents. 
yes. documented that because they've been counted, but they're not here legally. Right. Um, and if that happens, I don't know. I, I mean, because so I think they weren't what allowed that to ask does, it. it. They weren't allowed right. to ask the questions. This this was the thing that happened during the Trump administration. Is Trump wanted to add a question on the census that said, "Do you, are you here legally?" Essentially. And they, the courts said, no, you can't ask that question. And so as the census takers go around, they're just counting, they're counting heads. They're not counting documentation status. And so, um, I don't know. There, there will be, yeah, there will be people who are undocumented that are counted in the U.S. census. For sure. There will well, be. Well, what I had heard, what I had heard, and this may be erroneous, was, that they the difference was citizens versus uh, residents, so mm-hmm. that they could ask if you're a citizen, and you could just say yes, um, or you could or you could say no, I'm just I'm a resident, right? And, yeah. and the trick was is that there there was something like six million people that were in this category. And I think what that would do is shift population south. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, the theory was is that we wouldn't pick up the sixth seat if you count all those people. Because mm-hmm. it would shift to Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, you know, Southern California, that, that it would pull, pull the people south. And that even though it looked like we should get a sixth seat, um, that we might not. Yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 really confounding, but I could see how uh, if it kicks to Shamia, um, she will she'll draw the most egregious boundaries that you can, and I think you can actually draw six seats that are sort of fifty five forty five, fifty five percent Democratic, forty five percent other. Or I think. I think you need at least one Republican. I think Eastern Oregon is such a, has enough people in it and it's, it's, it's spread out enough that you, I think you need at least one Republican seat. I think that they're going to try really hard. Yeah. To get five Democratic seats and one Republican. But then well, I think the, there's going to be the interesting thing. Close. The interesting thing is, is that it's so easy to do geographically mm-hmm. because, um, all you have to do is keep CD2 coming into Portland. You get into Gresham and you pick up precincts that have like 8,000 people in a precinct and it's 92-8. It's 92% Democrats. So geographically, it's this little tiny speck, but it moves the needle very, very quickly. And what you get is something that looks like a pie-shaped pieces. Everything sort of takes a piece of the Portland suburbs and mm-hmm. you absolutely can do it and it doesn't look like the stuff you get in North Carolina where it's kind of going down here right. and it looks like somebody stepped on a spider right mm-hmm. it actually if you were back east or if you're a court and you looked at it you'd go give me a break that's that's easy yeah you have to layer um, the population data and the, the registration data on top of it to see just how gerrymandered Oregon is yeah no, it's, uh, and, and what she said is there, that fight is ongoing in Salem right now. Democrat v. Yes. Democrat. Yes. Yeah, I saw that all the time when I was there as well. 
we've run out this segment. I'm really surprised. This is Ali and Sarah with Ben James Ball. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Welcome back to Allie and Pacero with our friend James Paul. We've covered a lot of territory. Now we're going to go all the way down south to the U.S. border. And a strange thing is happening. I, maybe it isn't so strange, but uh, they very accurately track um, apprehensions at the border of uh, people that are trying to enter undocumented. Now, the only numbers that they can track are the ones that they actually identify. So this by no means is a comprehensive list of every single human that came across the border because people actually do sneak in. But um, even during the Trump administration, at the end of the Trump administration, the numbers started to rise dramatically uh, in 2020, the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. I think it was February of this year, and we should probably pull this up. Uh, we had over 100,000 people that were uh, detained or stopped. Uh, and that is, we were running in the 20, 30, 40,000 range in uh, 2018, 19, and 20 in February. Mm -hmm. So we, we again have a massive influx of people at the southern border. Um, and I, I haven't, you know, right wing. <laughs> Right-wing media <laughs> will point to it and say, see, it's Biden being soft, and we, we tore down the wall, and they're pouring over the... Well, it actually started during Trump's administration. The, mm -hmm. the surge, so to speak, started during the Trump administration. And then people say, well, that's because they knew it was coming, and it was going to get easier. But um, I, I haven't really heard a hypothesis on, uh, on why. Have you, James? I, I haven't heard why. Um, what I think needs to be done about this is, you know, now that Biden has both both houses of Congress, if he really wanted to do the compassionate thing, he would reform immigration and figure out a way for these people to be vetted and allowed into the country legally. Um, instead, you know, Trump got a lot of flack for putting kids in cages, and <laughs> guess what? Kids are still in cages, and all these hundred thousand people, all of the unaccompanied minors, are still being put in cages. Um, thank you, President Biden has done nothing to resolve that situation. Um, you know, Democrats now control everything. You could just go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and fix immigration once and for all. I, these people, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, they're coming here because they want a better life. Whether well, the situation they're coming from, for whatever reason, is dangerous or they don't have opportunity or they're being hunted by gangs in Venezuela or their economy's falling apart because of their socialist government. Uh, and they want to come here because of the opportunity. And I think that we, we need to put in a, a situ, a, a, a method for these people to get vetted, 
get entered, enter into the country and get asylum and allow them to start contributing to American society rather than just holding them all at the border. Um, this is, this is a problem that's gone on for 40 years. It's not a Democrat problem. It's not a Republican problem, but now Democrats control all of the Congress and the executive branch and they have the opportunity to do something and they should do it. See, my thing, that's my, my thing has been, <laughs> my thing has been, um, we either have rules or we don't have rules. And sure. we, we, we've got the worst of all worlds right now. We've got the, if you sneak across, you're probably going to be okay. If mm -hmm. you get across and you get detained, you're probably going to get in. Um, that, and they've just overwhelmed. It's like, it's like they just overwhelmed the, the system. And for those people what happens that came is here they, legally, they cross the border, they get detained, they take down their information, they get a court date, and then they get yeah. released into the into the, the public. Um, and then right. what? A, a third to a half come to their court date, and the other half just kind of right. Why are would in you come, Why would you come to your court yeah, date? Why would, right, exactly. You basically you basically accomplished what you would have accomplished had you snuck across. You're in. Yeah. Right, yeah. and you're in illegally. You're, you're carrying this little black cloud of illegal immigration over your head. Uh, but the thing that that bothers me is all of our friends who have come here legally, who tell stories of dad made it in legally, sent money home to mom. They petition every year. Finally, mom got you know to the top of the list, and finally she came over with the children and they're here legally, right? Mm -hmm. What are you saying to those people yeah. that did that when you just either throw the doors open or you just say, well, if you sneak in, it's probably going to be okay, right? Yeah, I think I, the, I, worst, the worst situation is a rule that is not enforced. You know, either have a rule and enforce it or, and in my opinion, change the rule. The rule is not helpful to anyone. It causes all of this strife. Change the rule. Well, and this is what I, what I would like is, okay, Congress, figure out how many people we are going to allow in every year. Mm -hmm. Is it, this is a hundred thousand a freaking month, you know, and those are only the ones that you caught, right? This isn't, this isn't the total number that tried or the total number that was successful. This is, this is the, the number that you, that you caught. And then mm -hmm. you also have to, what about the people that can't just walk across the border? What about the people that are in Africa or Sri Lanka or, you know, whatever, right? That want to come Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos. There's all kinds of people that are trying to get here and they're trying to get here legally. And you just, sort of you have this very porous southern border that people pour across they take all you know it's like cutting cutting in line and mm -hmm. i just want them to set up a process and if that process is what it was when my grandparents came which was basically hey if you want to come come on right we'll sign you up we'll take the tired and weak and poor come on if if we believe that our economy 
can support that and our elected representatives can get the votes necessary to put that in place, okay, we'll see what happens, right? But you're exactly right. What we've got right now is we have rules and the rules aren't enforced. So the, the people that are the most nefarious or clever or have enough money to, um, you know, get over here like this suburban with the 17 people crammed into it. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you had rules about how you do this, I think you could administrate it. And, but nobody wants to be on the record. Yeah. Congress doesn't want to be on the record to say, I voted for, you know, a million immigrants a year. Nobody wants to do that. It's, it's ridiculous. Which we need to elect representatives or Congress people who uh, have that intestinal fortitude to go on the record and, and do something about it. Because this is a crisis. I mean, these people are not coming here on vacation. They're coming here because they're fleeing Venezuela where their economy has collapsed. Their government is, is run by gangs that are going around killing people. They're, they're, um, uh, currency is in free fall because of mismanagement by their government. And they're just looking for a better life. They, they have no other options that, that we, I think that it, it, and it helps us too. You know, we, we are a country of immigrants and we're stronger with, through diversity and allowing these people to come into the United States and contribute and work and build a better life is better for everyone. Um, we just, we need to do it in a way yeah. that, that they aren't just crossing the border and and like you said having this this cloud of illegal um floating over their head uh that's not compassionate that's not helpful and it's, it's not good for us it's not good for them it's it's uh it's a disaster and it needs to be fixed and the federal government needs to fix it maybe what we could do is just build uh, a train from the border to canada and then canada <laughs> can take their fair share as sure. well there you go i there mean go. <laughs> they got lots of room up there <laughs> no but yes but the whole thing is ridiculous that that they don't take the bull by the horns figure out how many you can take figure out from what countries you can take them from because venezuela should probably have an allocation and colombia should have one and and uh you know chile should have one but vietnam cambodia the philippines they should all have one right yeah and yep. and and figure it out and if we yep. if we're taking in too many then the following year it's just like draft status the following year we say whoa whoa whoa, whoa. taking in too many we're going to back off right yeah. yeah and then you have to enforce the border you have to mm -hmm. because if you don't yeah. enforce the border you just threw the doors open and and you're rewarding the people that that circumvent the system. So yep. we got to take a break. This is Ali and Pacero with your friend James Paul. Thanks for listening. This has been Ali and Pacero with your hosts, Alan Ali and Jim Pacero. The podcast is produced by James Ball. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to alan at alanalley.com.